chapter 21, an oracle concerning the wilderness of the West. Like tornadoes sweeping through the south, they come from the steppes, the land of terror. A grim vision has been revealed to me, the traitor in the act of treachery, the destroyer laying waste. We can identify with tornadoes in the south, in this country, but they had them in that country too. And this is the west, in a sense. The tornadoes are day of judgment imagery. Those who come from the steppes are the Assyrians, the land of terror. They were so cruel and militaristic and subjugating of other peoples that they caused terror in other places, like the nation dreaded far and wide, people perpetually on the move. So typologically, this could refer to a Western nation being invaded by a modern version of Assyria or of an Assyrian army. The one who does the treachery in the book of Isaiah is the king of Assyria. In chapter 33, it says, Woe to you, despoiler, who yourself is not despoiled, or treacherous one with whom none have been treacherous. When you have done with devastating, you shall be devastated. When you are through betraying, they shall betray you. So the one who does the treachery and the betraying and the destroying is the king of Assyria in the book of Isaiah. Those are linking ideas to the king of Assyria, or a modern king of Assyria. We know what land is associated with steppes today. But there'll be like tornadoes sweeping through the south, and they'll be violent and destructive. That's storm imagery, that's day of judgment imagery. Attack, O Elamites, lay siege, you Medes, who were allies of the Assyrians, they were an alliance of nations. All the sighing that Babylon has caused, I will bring to an end. So the oppression of peoples under Babylon's rule is going to be made an end of when Babylon is going to be made an end of. Therefore my whole frame is racked with trembling. Throes of agony have seized me like a woman in labor. I am tormented beyond giving heed. I am too distraught to see. My mind reels. I am paralyzed with fear. The nightfall I long for has become a horror to me. So the prophet, instead of having a peaceful sleep, sweet dreams is like he's almost having nightmares over what he's seen in his vision. And he's seen treacherous attack by the Assyrians. We find out that it's on the heels of peace treaties in other parts of Isaiah that the Assyrians make, and they break those treaties and attack people when they're not expecting it. Again, in chapter 33, it says, Their stalwarts sob in public, in verse 7, the champions of peace weep bitterly. The highways of desolate travel is at an end. The treaties have been violated. The signatories held in contempt. Man is disregarded by this treacherous one who does the destruction and devastating. This one who betrays makes peace treaties first. The prophet feels for the people who are caught in that situation, who are not expecting to be attacked. Tornadoes attack suddenly and violently. They cause a cloud of dust, too. And the destruction that Isaiah talks about that will happen has that kind of destructive effect. Wickedness shall be set ablaze. It shall ignite the jungle forest, and they shall billow upward in mushrooming clouds of smoke. Chapter 9, verse 18. So all of that imagery here is filling his mind. Instead of saying, well, you know, they were wicked, they deserved it. He really empathizes, he has total empathy with the people. Also, in the book of Isaiah, everybody goes into labor. We saw in chapter 13, 
where Babylon is destroyed, and it says, men will be terrified in throes of agony, seized with trembling like a woman in labor. Uh, Zion goes into labor and brings forth a deliverer in chapter 66, verses 7 and 8. God himself goes into labor. The prophet going into labor identifies him with the whole day of judgment scenario. Verse 5, they prepare tables, they deck them with candlesticks, they are eating and drinking, mobilize you commanders, oil the armor. So at the very time when the people whom they attack are having some kind of national holiday or feast time, they're sitting down to dine and celebrate, then is when the enemy attacks them, which is part of the treachery. This feast day or this time of banqueting is another indication of which time of the year that the Assyrians attack. We had a moment ago the time of the early harvest. So you put the two together and you could come up with a time like the 4th of July. Verse 6, Because of this my Lord said to me, Go and appoint a watchman who will report what he sees. In Isaiah, watchmen are prophets, as in chapter 56. Prophets are called watchmen in chapter 52 also who will report what he sees, implying that there are watchmen who don't report what they see. Or watchmen, as in chapter 56, who don't see anything when they should see things. So this is a righteous watchman. He does the job. Let him watch for chariots with teams of horses, riders on asses and riders on camels. He must be most vigilant, fully alert. The Lord serves warning through prophets of the coming destruction. And that prophet serves warning to those who are the people of God, as we'll see in verse 10. He doesn't serve warning to everybody, because everybody else has had plenty of warning. The prophets of God, the Lord's servants, have warned them, have served as signs and portents of the Lord to them. But among the righteous, there will be deliverance through the agency of a faithful watchman. And that watchman could be the Lord's servant in this case, who would be anointed by the prophet of God. Let him watch for chariots with teams of horses, riders on asses and riders on camels. He must be most vigilant, fully alert. And again implying that some are not vigilant at that time and not alert. So he has to go and appoint a special one to do the job. Also, the teams of horses and asses implies the enemy's advance. If we were to put that in a modern context, we could say, well, you know, that would be tanks and troop carriers and so on. Then the lookout cried, I've been standing on the watchtower day in and day out, my Lord. Night after night I have stood guard. So he's been faithful and being vigilant for some time, perhaps three years. Now they come, cavalry and teams of horses. And he gave the reply, she has fallen, Babylon has fallen. All her idol gods he has raised to the ground. So after the warning is given, the attack does happen, the watchman serves warning, and Babylon falls. Babylon meaning all of this conglomerate of nations, all those who identify with Arch Babylon in the book of Isaiah, who are the wicked inhabitants of the world, the world as a whole, all those in fact who are not Zion all those who are into idolatry, all her idol gods he has raised to the ground. The whole system of Babylon, the manufacture and promotion and sale of the works of men's hands, that whole system falls. To the ground implies 
reversion to chaos, to an elemental state. As we see in chapter 47, where Babylon, who's been sitting on her throne, goes into the dust, becomes a non-entity. At the same time that Zion arises from the dust to sit upon her throne. So again, this fall of Babylon is part of a broader scenario that has the rise of Zion as the other side of the coin. Also, the king of Babylon falls uh, shortly after this, and Zion's king comes to rule. So that's all part of this scenario. Who does the destruction of Babylon? Again, the Assyrians do. They destroy Babylon, as in chapter 13. Verse 10, To you who know me, who are of my fold. Well, we saw in chapter 19 that there are Egyptians who know the Lord, and the Lord knows them. Or of his fold implies that they're of his congregation or his covenant people. To know the Lord is to know him in a covenantal sense. To you who know me, who are of my fold, I have reported what I heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. He doesn't report it to everybody. This warning is for the elect only, that they might escape the destruction. The destruction from which the wicked chose not to escape, really, because they didn't take the warnings that were given before. Verse 11, an oracle concerning Duma. Duma means silence, or being a dummy, probably the same writ. Maybe the English word dumb comes from something like this. Men call me from Seir, which is in the land of Esau. Watchmen, what remains of the night? Watchmen, how much of the night is left? Now, these people have been overtaken by the Day of Judgment, and these are people who have not come out from the destruction. They've not been delivered, but they're out there somehow surviving. They may not be totally wicked, because if they were totally wicked, they would have been destroyed in the destruction. These people are wanting to know how long this day of judgment is going to go on for. Because they think, wow, you know, this is endless. It's like in the Second World War, which went on for five or six years. After a while, people were war worn. They were burned out from the time of scarcity and fear. and It was a tremendously stressful period of time. Watchmen, what remains of the night? The night is that time of darkness in which they find themselves. It is the night in which no labor can be performed. It is the outer darkness into which the wicked are cast in that time. They don't come in to the feast, or they don't come in of the cloud of glory and partake of the Lord's light. They're left out there in the gloom and doom of the day of judgment. How much of the night is left? The watchman replies, Morning comes, that is the morning of the millennium, or the dawning of the millennium, Morning comes, though it is still night. The day of judgment, or the time of judgment, is going to go on for still a while longer. If you would ascertain it, in other words, if you want to know it yourself, for yourselves, do so by repenting and coming back. You didn't repent in time, so you didn't participate in the deliverance that God provided, and now you're asking me how long it's going to go on for. Find out for yourselves. Create your own relationship with God. Do so by repenting of your sins and returning to God. It's like the Egyptians. They will turn back to the Lord and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. Chapter 19, verse 22. So he gives them the answer that they want, but he also adds on a little good advice, counsel to help them 
so that the thing that they're suffering through will actually be beneficial to them, turn them back to God. An oracle concerning those in Arabia, you wandering bands of Didonites who sojourn in the forests of Arabia, bring water to greet the thirsty, meet the fugitives with food, O inhabitants of the land of Tema, where they flee from destruction, from the bared sword, the drawn bow, and the severity of war. So the people that are out there, living in mostly uninhabited areas, who are used to living out there. And the people who are coming under attack from the Assyrians try to go out there and survive out in the land. Of course, they're, the people who are most able to help them out there are those who are already living out there or used to those kind of conditions. They're going to be like Americans going out to the Indian reservations and saying, why don't you guys help me? <laughs> and what will they say? They'll say, well, you didn't help us. So the people living in a semi-nomadic or nomadic lifestyle who are able to help some of the fugitives and survivors. They flee from destruction, from the bared sword, the drawn bow. The sword and the bow are metaphors describing the king of Assyria. He is the sword and he is the bow. And he's the one that's causing the destruction throughout the world. Verse 16, On account of this, my Lord said to me, Notice it's very personal, my Lord to me, meaning that he has an individual covenant relationship with the Lord, and also it implies that there are not very many people like this, like him. Just a few here, a few individuals, a few prophets of God. On account of this, my Lord said to me, within a year, as the term of a lease, Kedar's glory shall fully expire, and the number of valiant archers remaining of the sons of Kedar shall be few. The Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken it. This implies that we're two years into the time of judgment. There's one year left. Possibly, or it implies that we're two years into the three-year period of warning. There is one year of warning left. It's not clear. Like Moab's glory, which becomes ignominy, so Kedah's glory becomes ignominy. In fact, if you've noticed all through these chapters, from chapter 13 all the way through 23, you'll see that that which is prosperous and that which is elite and recognized and admired, all of that becomes ignominy and humiliation and disgrace and shamed. And that which is exalted is humiliated. And so it is for all those who make up Babylon. The exact opposite of what happens to the people of Zion who have been humiliated, who have been shamed and oppressed and who are exalted at that time. Kedar are those who dwell out there in the sticks, so to speak, in the outback, in the rural areas, or in the forests, who are able to help people. They too, themselves, very few of them will survive. 